After many years, I came to bring alms to my nation and offerings, whereupon certain Jews from Asia found me purified in the temple, neither with the multitude nor with tumult, who ought to have been here before you, and object if they had aught against me. Or else, let these same who are here say if they found any evil doing in me while I stood before the council, except it be for this one voice that I cried, Standing among them, touching the resurrection of the dead, I am called in question by you this day. And when Felix heard these things, having more perfect knowledge of that way, he deferred them and said, When Lysias, the chief captain, shall come down, I will know in the uttermost of your matter. And he commanded the centurion to keep Paul, to let him have liberty, and that he should forbid none of his acquaintance to minister or come unto him. After certain days, when Felix came with his wife, Drusilla, who was a Jewess, he sent for Paul and heard him concerning the faith in Christ. And as Paul reasoned of righteousness, temperance, and judgment to come, Felix trembled and answered, Go your way this time. When I have a convenient season, I will call for you. He hoped also that money should have been given him of Paul, that he might set him free. Wherefore he sent for him the oftener and communed with him. And after two years, Porcius Faustus came into Felix's room and he took his place. And Felix, willing to show Jews a pleasure, left Paul bound. Welcome to the Unchanging Word Radio Bible Study. Our teacher is Dr. John G. Mitchell, a man who was faithful in teaching the Word of God for more than 60 years throughout the Northwest. Many were blessed by his Bible teaching, and today we invite you to share in those blessings by listening to the Unchanging Word Radio Bible Study. The name of our study, The Unchanging Word, highlights the fact that God's Word has not changed. What God reveals in His written Word was true in the past, is still true today, and will be true tomorrow. The truth in God's Word was, is, and always will be true. God never changes. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Now Paul continues his defense before Felix the governor stating that he always exercises himself to have his conscience clear, both before God and man. So he proceeds to account for his actions in the temple in Jerusalem. Now all Paul did was tell the truth of what happened, and it is noteworthy that no one could bring any evidence to the contrary. At this point, Felix then decides to stop the proceedings in order to give time for the Roman tribune, Lysias, and Felix, with his Jewish wife, Drusilla, time to come and listen in. Now, although the governor really was expecting a bribe from Paul, Paul took the time to tell Felix about the gospel. And as we read, it caused no small discomfort to Felix about what Paul spoke, because Paul reasoned of righteousness, self-control, and of the judgment to come. Well, let's join Dr. Mitchell in Acts chapter 24, verse 17 on the Unchanging Word. Bible broadcast. Good day, friends. Again, we come to you with simple studies in the Word of God. We trust that you're following along with us in the study of this amazing book of Acts, and we're in chapter 24. Well, the Apostle Paul, you remember, is before the governor, the Roman governor, Felix, and he's with him for, for two years down here in Caesarea. 
Let me remind you again, in chapter 24, Paul stands before the governor Felix. In chapter 25, uh, Festus. In chapter the end of chapter 25 into chapter 26, we have King Agrippa, uh, these three Roman governors. And we find that, that all three, when it comes to the question of character, are not much to talk about. But when we come to chapter 24, as we had in our last lesson, Paul defends himself before Felix. Uh, the Jews had come up from Jerusalem down to Caesarea, and they got a man, uh, a great orator called Tertullus, and he accused Paul of three things, of sedition, that means he was opposed to Rome, of heresy, he's the father of this man, Jesus, who was against Moses, and then he accused him of sacrilege, that he had defiled the temple, profaned the temple. And 20 to 10 to 23, you have Paul answers all these three charges. And the issue, again, is the resurrection. But first of all, he, he answers the three charges. First of all, he, he, he was not one who was disputing, causing an insurrection in the temple because he had only been there 12 days. What enough time to start an insurrection? And the second thing that he, he was... Uh, he defended was the fact that he was not disputing in the temple or making any trouble in the temple. He was not profaning the temple. And then he concerned his question of heresy in verses 14 and 15. He said, if you fellows had been believing the Bible, these are he's accusing those who were accusing him. If you fellows had believed the Bible, all the Bible, that would be from Genesis to Malachi, the Old Testament, you'd be standing right here with me. You'd be right with me. Because he was not against Moses, he was not against the temple, but he had hope of the resurrection, which was guaranteed by the resurrection of Christ. He made no apologies for his faith. He's very, very bold, as I said, and I repeat it in Proverbs 28, 1, the righteous are as bold as a lion. Then he spoke of his character in verse 16. He had a... a he had a conscience void of offense toward God and likewise toward men. Uh, what more could he be or what more could he do? He lived his life before God. He lived his life before men. as an open book without offense. I wish you and I could see that. I wish that could be written over you and I, that we were men and women without offense toward God. All, that, all our lives... Whatever we did, whatever we thought, all our motives was for the glory of God. We would not be an offense to God in his holy, righteous character. And we would not be an offense against men. We would seek to win them for the Savior and manifest the spirit of divine love. Now, you go on down through from verse 17, right on down through to verse, to verse 23. And in take time here, uh, after many years, I'll just read the passage. After many years, I came to bring alms to my nation and offerings, whereupon certain Jews from Asia found me purified in the temple, neither with the multitude nor with tumult, who ought to have been here before you, and object if they had ought against me. Or else, let these same who are here say if they found any evil doing in me while I stood before the council, except it be for this one voice that I cried, Standing among them, touching the resurrection of the dead, I am called in question by you this day. You had this in chapter 23. 
And when Felix heard these things, having more perfect knowledge of that way, he deferred him and said, When Lysias, the chief captain, shall come down, I will know in the uttermost of your madam. And he commanded the centurion to keep Paul, to let him have liberty, and that he should forbid none of his acquaintance to minister or come unto him. Before I leave that, may I just suggest, again in verse verse 15, verse 21, the great issue again is the resurrection from the dead. I've said so much about this in past lessons. I'm just going right by it now. Except to repeat the statement, without the resurrection, we haven't anything. It's God's guarantee. I've changed that. It's God's personal testimony to you that this Jesus of Nazareth is his son and that his work on the cross perfectly satisfied the divine character of God. Now from verse from verse 24 to the end of the chapter, you have Paul's defense before Felix, or should I say Paul's message to Felix. It's a personal message, and it's, the message strikes right at his conscience. Allow me to read it. After certain days when Felix came with his wife Drusilla, who was a Jewess, he sent for Paul and heard him concerning the faith in Christ. And as Paul reasoned of righteousness, temperance, and judgment to come, Felix trembled and answered, Go your way this time. When I have a convenient season, I will call for you. He hoped also that money should have been given him of Paul, that he might set him free. Wherefore he sent for him the oftener and communed with him. And after two years, Felix Festus, Porcius Festus, came out of Felix's room, and he took his place. And Felix, willing to show Jews a pleasure, left Paul bound down in Caesarea after two years. Now, let me just say a word about again. Let me repeat what I said in our last lesson concerning this man, Felix. Again, I quote from Tacitus. Repeat that statement for Tartus, the Roman historian, who made the statement. This is the quotation. Felix, a Roman governor, reveled in cruelty and lust. He wielded the power of a king with the mind of a slave. The two things that I want you to mark is Felix's life was controlled by fleshly lusts, cruelty, and a dominating power over others. And to get that power, he would manifest cruelty. He was, he was not at all loath in punishing men and scourging men that he might have control. He is a man who was a politician, cruel, despot, and a man who was very, very immoral, full of lusts. In fact, the story of him and his wife, his Jewess, Drusilla, is not a very sweet story. Now he sent for Paul and heard him concerning the faith in Christ. After what I said about Felix, you can understand these three things of which Paul talked about. Paul reasoned of righteousness, temperance, judgment to come. Or righteousness, self-control, judgment to come. You remember in John chapter 16, verses 8 to 11, our Lord Jesus spoke of the fact that when the Spirit of God would come, he's going to reprove, he's going to convict, he's going to illuminate the mind and the conscience with respect to sin, righteousness, and judgment have come. Of sin because they believe not on me. Of righteousness because I go to my Father and you see me no more. 
of judgment because the prince of this world is, is judged. Paul preached, first of all, of righteousness to an unrighteous man. Felix had seduced Drusilla, became his wife. As I said a while ago, he was, he was very, very cruel. He had the mind of a slave and was ruling like a king. And Paul spoke of righteousness. Remember, he was speaking on the anointing and power of the Spirit of God. And he was speaking to the conscience of this man, Felix. He spoke of righteousness to an unrighteous man. Remember, Isaiah 64, 6 says, Our righteousnesses are as in the sight of God as filthy rags. Romans 3.10 says, There is none righteous, no, not one. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God, of the righteousness, if I can use that word in this connection, of God. God's going to judge us according to his own righteous, holy character. How are men going to stand before God? Remember, there is only one real righteousness, and that is God's righteousness. And my friend, this man Felix trembled when Paul spoke of righteousness. Do you? You tell me, well, Mr. Mitchell, I'm doing the best I can. I try to keep the golden rule. I try to keep the Ten Commandments. I try to do this. I try to live a good life. I'm a moralist. I attend church. I'm a religionist. But my friend, listen, I'm not opposed to any one of those things. Only thing I ask you is, can you stand before God? You can stand before men and hold your head up high, possibly. But can you stand before a holy, righteous, eternal God? One day Moses said to God, Moses, the great lawgiver, the man who knew the ways of God, he said to God one day, show me your glory. And God said, no, Moses, no man can see me in my glory and live. How are you going to stand before God without divine righteousness? This is good news, my friend, from God to you, that when a sinner accepts the Savior, God puts to his account his own righteousness, God's righteousness. Romans 5.1 says, Therefore, being declared righteous by faith, we have peace with God. Why do we have peace with God? Because we stand before God in all the righteousness of Jesus Christ. As 1 Corinthians 1.30 says, For of him are you in Christ Jesus, who in the wisdom of God has been made unto us righteousness. Or 2 Corinthians 5.21, Jesus Christ was made sin for us, he who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Or take Romans 4, 5, To him that worketh not, but believeth on him that justifieth the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness. And Paul spoke of the righteousness of God to the conscience of an unrighteous man. I'm not surprised he trembled. And I'm sure when Paul said that, he could tell this man, Felix, that he could stand before God in all the righteousness of Christ if he as a sinner would put his trust in the Savior. That's the first thing. He talked about righteousness. The second thing was he talked about temperance, about self-control. And he talked about self-control to a un completely uncontrolled man, a man who was filled with uncontrolled passions. 
Boy, I wonder how he felt. He talked about self-control. Or as your word here, of temperance. And this man was a very intemperate man. You see, Paul is talking to his conscience. I'm not surprised that he trembled. Here's a man who has no control, live in the passions of the flesh, in the passions of sin. And when I think of so many today, even among our young people and men and women, and men and women in their middle age, who are giving way to passion, and homes have been broken up because of passion, remember, you've got to stand before God, who was righteous, who was holy. And Paul spoke to the conscience of this man, to an uncontrolled man. And I want to say very frankly, if I'm talking to any man or woman today, young person, I don't care who you are, and you're living in the lusts and desires of the flesh, come what may, whatever happens to the other person. This is not liberty, my friend. This is license, absolute license. You're going to come under the judgment of God. God is holy. God is righteous. God is judge. Why, Mr. Mitchell, I've been looking upon you as a man who believed in the love of God. That's right. That's right. But there could be no demonstration of the love of God at the expense of his righteousness. Remember that before God can save one precious soul, his righteous character must be satisfied. And when Jesus Christ, his blessed Son, his only begotten Son, came and died on a cross, he not only put away sin, but he also satisfied the righteous character of God so that God is free now to free men from the passions of sin. Or as Romans 6, we've been delivered by the death of Christ from sin as a master. Sin is no longer the place of authority over a Christian. If you tell me, my friend, you're a Christian and are living in the passions of the flesh, the question is raised, do you really trust the Savior? And if you are a Christian, God can give you deliverance from those passions. And the third he spoke of was judgment to come. He reached of righteousness, of temperance, of judgment to come. And he spoke of judgment to come to a very sinful man. I repeat it, no wonder he trembled. Remember that God is not only saving sinners, and wants to save sinners. But the time comes when God is going to judge them. Now, we had that in chapter 17, when Paul preached Jesus on the resurrection to the philosophical Athenians. Do you remember how he closed that message? For God hath set apart a day in the which he will judge the world in righteousness by that man whom he hath ordained, whereof he hath given assurance unto all men, in that he hath raised him from the dead. You take John chapter 3, verse 36. I read, He that hath the Son of God hath life. He that hath not the Son of God shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth upon him. Do you mean it's going to abide upon him? No, the wrath of God abides on him now. My friend, the verdict has been given. The wages of sin is death. Romans 3, 20, 19 and 20 says that the whole world is guilty before God. Every man's mouth is shut. 
Therefore, by the deeds of the law shall no flesh be justified in his sight, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. You've already come before the judge. He's already pronounced sentence. We're just waiting, as Galatians 3 says, we're in jail, waiting execution. And while we wait execution, God is in manifesting grace. For 1,900 years, God has been pleading with men to accept his Son. And we talk about the righteousness of God to unrighteous men. We talk about temperance to those who have no self-control, where the passions of sin control their lives. We talk of judgment to come because God is bound in his very character to judge sin and to judge sinners. I'm saying very frankly, my friend, this is the heart of the gospel. Why did Christ come? He satisfied the righteous character of God so you, when you put your trust in the Savior, will cover you with his own righteousness, divine righteousness, accepted in the Beloved. When you accept the Savior, he forgives all your sin. He forgives you with a divine pardon. He forgives you according to the riches of his grace. And he frees you from judgment. Jesus said in John chapter 5, three times he said, The Father hath committed all judgment to the Son. The Father judgeth no man. He's given all judgment to the Son because he's the Son of man. Then he says in the very middle of it, Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that heareth my words and believeth on him that sent me hath everlasting life, and shall not come into judgment, but is passed from death unto life. And in Romans 8, 1 says, There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. You see, friend, this is what God has for us. Now, how did this man Felix take it? He said, Go your way this time, when I have a convenient season, I will call for thee. Though he was convicted of sin, there was no acceptance of the gospel. Second Corinthians chapter 6, the second verse says, Now is the accepted time. Now is the day of salvation. There is no more convenient time than now. And the more I put off the gospel, the harder it is for me to accept it. You see, he postponed setting Paul free. He postponed his own salvation. And as far as I know, in the two years that Paul was there, Felix never found a convenient time. He kept putting it off. He vacillated until he was moved from his position as a governor. And, and to please the Jews as a political thing, he kept Paul bound for two years, he didn't want to give up his sin. In fact, he, accept, he expected Paul to bribe him. Every time he met with Paul and Paul talked about his relationship to the Savior, he expected a bribe from this man, Paul. Oh, listen, friend, it may be I'm talking to you. You've heard the gospel over and over again. You keep postponing it, postponing it. I can't accept him now. It's not for me now. In my present position, I can't do it now. You see, you keep putting it off, you keep putting it off. And the more you put it off, the harder you get. I plead with you, my friend, the 
best time for you to accept the Savior is now. Now is the accepted time. Now is the day of salvation. You remember the Lord Jesus said to the Jews of his day, you, 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 you know the Scriptures. In them you think you have eternal life, and they are they which testify of me, and you will not come to me that you might have life. It is not that they couldn't come. They wouldn't come. It's not that Felix couldn't come. He had the capacity to accept the Savior. He rejected it, went in his own way, and as far as I know, perished, came under the judgment of God. Oh, friend, oh, may I plead with your heart. If I'm talking to you, if you've never accepted the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, you do it today, for now is the accepted time. Tomorrow may be too late. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. That means put your trust in the Savior and pass from death to life. You do it today. Thank you for listening to the Unchanging Word Radio Bible Study today. Write to us with your comments and your prayer requests to the Unchanging Word, P.O. Box 398, Dallas, Oregon, 97338. And so until next time, this is the Unchanging Word Radio Broadcast. Life begins at Calvary.